Salutation Shades, and welcome back to your one-stop shop for all things strange and unusual, talking with shadows. The conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Whaley. And Marcus D. And joining us in the studio today for this special Christmas episode. Woo, Christmas! The, yeah, he is the author of the book, Learning Bigfoot. He's a wildlife and Bigfoot researcher and the founder of the East Coast Bigfoot Researchers Organization. Please welcome, thank you, Mr. Daniel Benoit. Thank you for coming to the studio, sir. Hey, thank you for having me. This is awesome, man. I've been looking forward to this. So we've been super great to be here. Both of us have gone through your book. We are we are very glad to have you here, man. Yeah, awesome. we've, been, we've been trying to schedule you for a while. So I'm super excited that you actually well, we were able to get you in the studio today to record this. Thank you. We really wanted to do something uh, as a as like a gift for the holidays for our fans uh, and our listeners. So thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it so much. We're talking about cryptids. Why not talk about Bigfoot? Because this makes this that much better. Oh, this is unfortunately, yeah. a subject we haven't covered as thoroughly as some other things in the field of the paranormal. Yes, we'll occasionally dip into the realm of hairy hominids, but it's just not something we've covered as much as some other things. So we're going to dive right into alcohol because I am thirsty. I have had a long Me day. Too. So I'm going to dive right <laughs> into this. Uh, Vic, what are you drinking today? I am making myself a mixed drink of vodka and diet diet Dr Pepper cream soda. What would you what would you call that? Like vodka and Dr Pepper. Well, let's see. It is cream soda and the vodka's whipped cream, so a double creamy. I think I just call that the runs. <laughs> nope, nope. <laughs> it's a double creamy. <laughs> All fans at home, I, go out and get whipped cream vodka and Dr Pepper cream soda and make yourselves a double creamy. Right and dark drinks. Go now. Now I gotta say that does sound good. <laughs> actually, pretty good. I'm gonna drink the beers that uh, Marcus is drinking a little later on. But I wanted to start out with saying a little special for the holidays. This is my official holiday drink this year. <laughs> right mm. Mr. Ben, what are you drinking good start on your end? I'm drinking some high quality H2O. <laughs> so uh, we're yeah. more responsible than the two of us. You're going to get hydrated. Yeah. We just become weaker due to the dehydration of our alcohol. <laughs> Well, you know, I, as much as I should be drinking some alcohol, I just, you know, this has been a long day on the road. Um, you know, I, my job consists of me driving a lot. So <laughs> my doctor's probably yeah. glad that I'm talking to you uh, so that I can be around other people that drink water. Maybe it'll be a good influence on me as well. <laughs> but not right now, because uh, I'm going to have to continue because uh, I'm being punished because I was not, I did not think ahead. You are not perceptive and the I, universe has punished you. I know. I am continuing to drink and to finish up our birds of fire sour beer although this time i am very aware that it is it's a, a good sour, sour beer. beer it's very mild it's orangey you like oranges yes because if there is one thing that citrus is it's mild <laughs> <laughs> well it's mild for well, a sour beer well let me ask you uh guys this i you guys in there like a strong tasting dark beer by any chance i am well, <laughs> Sorry, that was a, that wasn't your suggestion. That was a sour beer. <laughs> that would be well, the reason I ask you guys that is when you guys come to Virginia, 
uh, going to local grocery stores. Uh, not all of them have it, but it's a local beer that's brewed right here in Virginia, and it's called Squatch Ale. Squatch. I'm writing this down. Squatch. Yeah, Squatch yeah. Ale. They yeah, usually sell it by the six pack. No. Well, I'm really no. looking forward to getting this. Maybe we can order some offline mm. and have uh, very possible. Because, yeah, the brewing company that uh, brews that uh, they have their they're way down south of West Virginia. They're called Chaos Brewing Company. Yeah, Chaos Mountain Brewing Company. So I would like I would like to point something out. People keep like crapping on me for not like sour beer. You know what? Have you heard one story of Bigfoot drinking a sour beer? I've not heard That's too many right. stories of Bigfoot drinking. Beer. Bigfoot's got butter. my back not drinking sour beers. He knows. He knows how <laughs> disgusting this is. First, if Bigfoot was going to drink a beer, it would clearly be a peanut butter stout. That it would be definitely Bigfoot's beer. I agree with that. But we have the expert here. What do you think? Yeah. Do you think that Bigfoot would go for something like darker peanut butter stout or sour? But what do you think he would do, Daniel? Ooh, you know, that's a good question. If if I had to take a whack at this, which I'll try. Oh man, uh, it's actually got my brain a little stumbled here. If Bigfoot was to, I don't know. You know, I think he would be curious if something was presented to him. Uh, you know, Bigfoot's a curious subject to begin with, and uh, I, I, I believe he would at least try it. But if he had a choice and and went with something, and I, I would think he would go with. It would have to be something strong, probably. Something to go along with his strong musk. That's one of the things Bigfoot. He's elusive. Yeah. He's elusive and yet has a strong musk, which is impressive, by the way. But Dana, I gotta ask. So I, I always see this. I always see this tag for people when it comes to like, uh, like their Bigfoot researcher or their ghost hunter or something. H- how does one wake up one day and go, "I'm gonna study Bigfoot"? Like. <laughs> Like how did you like how did you come to that decision? Well, yeah, I, mean, I can't answer this for everyone, but you know, I think everyone's a little different along the way. Um, you know what got me involved with this, uh, and as w- well as many others, um, the Bigfoot, uh, the 1967 Patterson Gimlin footage, I think sparked it for many people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been Bigfoot activity in history long before that, but it seems like the Patterson footage really put Bigfoot out there. Um, you know, and after seeing the footage, uh, it really sparked a curiosity. Um, it really got me interested. But what really done it for me is when some of the documentaries where they try to analyze and debunk the footage and all the science that got put into this, where they can't debunk it, they cannot rule, you know, they cannot point it as a person everything points towards this being a real flesh and blood creature and nothing else um and you know i tell you what it had me going out in the woods a lot more uh well i shouldn't say a lot more because i was always out in the woods ever since i was a kid and as far as being out in the woods exploring it really opened up my senses to pay more attention um you know i was i pretty much started very independent um even though I am, I got team members and stuff now, as far as when I do my research, a lot of times it's still independent. Um, now, I, you know, I have a beautiful girlfriend who loves Bigfoot and loves getting out there with me, too. So that's a that's a big plus. But um, but yeah, so, you know, it's, it's a passion, you know, it's, you know, the curiosity started 
then that passion started to develop and it blew up from there. And, you know, as far as being an explorer and everything and loving the woods and studying the wildlife, uh, you know, it's actually where it put me into my category. Um, as I tell everybody, even if I do a presentation, the first thing I have to explain to everybody, I'm a wildlife and Bigfoot researcher. I like to point that out that I put wildlife number one before Bigfoot uh, for the very fact that it's very important to get familiar with your known wildlife before going after something that's considered as the unknown. Um, for the very fact that I've over the years, I've seen so many people, you know, pointing at things in the forest that they're giving Bigfoot the credit for, but yet neglecting all the known wildlife and all the various species that are very, uh, very well known for doing the same thing that we're giving Bigfoot the credit for. So, so that's where I stand on that as a wildlife and Bigfoot researcher. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where I take this because, um, you know, not everything in the woods is Bigfoot related, although we, we can believe it is, but there's no proof of that unless you're actually had a visual seeing them do what we give Bigfoot the credit for. So, so it, brought up the Patterson Gimlin footage, and that's been a hot topic between me and Marcus over the years. Mm -hmm. I, I oh, yeah. You know your, so your thoughts are that it's, it's pretty credible. Um, to this point, I do believe it is, unless otherwise proven. I mean, I'm not afraid to, to go back. You know, if, if it gets if we get stand corrected that it's something completely different with evidence to prove that it's something different, then I'll jump on that. But till this day, I. My personal belief is that it is the real deal. I would, uh, I would agree with you, but we've had some hot mm -hmm. arguments over the Patterson and Giblin footage in the past. Um, I've had issues when it comes to the walking of it. That's true. But I like, I want to go back to what you were talking about, like with the, uh, you, you put the wildlife first. Cause when I was reading your book, like learning Bigfoot, uh, I didn't realize that I was going to learn so much about uh, bear shit. <laughs> I was going to learn. I'm like, I'm like, you know, Whenever you are trying to research Bigfoot, you do surprisingly have to learn a lot about animal feces. And uh, I did not, I didn't, I did not, I've never thought about that the entire time. So I want to appreciate you starting educating me on that. I, I do, I do appreciate that. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, a lot of my research and a lot of what I present, it's funny uh, that you brought up the bears. Bears is very important. Um, well, for a few different reasons. And to keep it simple, is their tracks, their foot tracks. Uh, they're easily misidentified by a number of novice, uh, you know, field researchers, you know, um, you know, a lot of people go out in the field with Bigfoot on their brain. Of course, that's where Bigfoot's getting all the credit because, you know, I could say I'm just as guilty, but, you know, I've over the years with experience, you learn more. And so you change your stance on, on different things. <clears throat> so, but the Bigfoot tracks, I, I can tell you as far as I have come across a lot of Bigfoot tracks and I've had my collection of casts, but I've been fooled when it comes to bear tracks because some bear tracks, especially if they're a large bear, leaving a fairly large track, uh, depending on the step uh, and the surface of the, you know, or the terrain that they are stepping on, uh, sometimes those tracks can be very deceitful. Um, one of the main common things with bears is their double step. It's the pattern. It's the, it's the way they walk, you know, where their rear foot is stepping in part of their front paw track. And therefore you got a long gated track. So, uh, that is a, uh, 
uh, how I would say something to keep in mind and be very aware of that, you know, take caution when you're observing the track, you know, uh, some, some of those are very obvious. They're not all obvious. Sometimes if you take the time to look at a track, you'll see the extra set of toes from the other paw or the foot, uh, inside that same track, but that's not yeah. always the case. So. So these are mainly issues if there's no other available tracks to diagnose it. Like, say, you can't see the tracks for the other side where it has independent footing. Right. You mean as far as where they're just all completely solid single tracks? Well, like, say, if the left side leaves the double print, the right side means it's at the forward and back, and they're going to leave single prints. But sometimes you don't have the luxury of finding those because mm -hmm. those are on more stable footing. Right. I, right. So, yeah. Uh, one of the things I tell people too, you know, yeah, a lot of times we find single tracks by themselves or what appears to be a single track. Uh, I always tell people you got to look around, you got to be a little bit more observant. And I know it's easier said than done. Uh, bear tracks, if it is a bear track, uh, yeah, you, you may see a single front paw track. Because a lot of times when I do come across tracks, it's the front paw that's more obvious, you know. Uh, depends on, depends on if you've got a clear enough ground uh, without any leaf debris or any other leaf litter. Um, you know, like if the ground is bare, you know, it's got, you know, where the dirt and soil is exposed, uh, you know, around Creek beds. I love searching for tracks around Creek beds. So, um, so yeah, sometimes it, it, it could be a little difficult sometimes a little bit of a challenge. So. Uh, there's something that I've been wondering about for a long time from reading Bigfoot stories. Um, uh, for some reason, I've always been really drawn to the stories that involve Bigfoot stealing or obtaining food. And it seems like when Bigfoot has the option, they'll go for things like peanut butter, pies, dense breads, things like that. And I like these sorts of stories because it gives us insight into their cravings and biology. I was wondering, do you think Bigfoot innately goes for food that's more calorie dense? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Um, for one thing, as far as uh, – let me back up uh, before I answer that question. Because uh, when you were presenting this question, it made me think of something. Yeah. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people believe in gifting, mm -hmm. uh, what yeah. they call gifting, where they'll leave food. I know a lot of people will leave peanut butter. Mm -hmm. um, and I, too, have tried this experiment. Then I was like, wait a minute, what am I doing? <laughs> uh and I'll get into that. But as far as food that disappears from our camps or wherever, uh, there's a number of wildlife that, that will jump on that. Uh, raccoons, bears, and yeah, raccoons whatever. Raccoons love peanut butter. Yes, they love, love oh, peanut butter. absolutely. And I can tell you bears love it too because I've experimented with a jar of peanut butter. I smeared it around the surrounding area, left the jar by itself set the camera there and i had that bear all over everywhere i smeared peanut butter he was on it and in the last picture had that whole jar of peanut butter running off in his mouth so uh <laughs> but yeah so there's a lot of critters that are uh that will jump on human food um now more or less back to your question as far as um you know there as far as a bigfoot's diet and i i really believe it, as far as i you know, a lot of uh, base. I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this. I have to throw in what I compare Bigfoot with, and that is with our primates, our non-human non primates. Um, 
you know, when it comes to diets and everything, you know, uh, their, their diet is very diversified. It's, uh, you know, they have, a, I believe they have a wide range of food, in, uh, you know, in their diet. Um, and of course it becomes, I think it depends on how, what they adapt to in that area. Um, uh, what they, you know, learn to, uh, adapt with what's available, I should say. Um, but as far as my opinion and my belief on Bigfoot being such a large, uh, creature or, you know, a uh, subject, I like to call them, um, I believe they have to have a large calorie intake uh, with a lot of protein. Um, any large predator, uh, they you know, like a mountain lion, for example, there you know, or you know, or a lion in the jungle or whatever. I believe their calorie they have to have so many calories per day. You know, kind of like us. You know, we we have to have a certain calorie intake to be healthy and thrive throughout the day and whatever. Um. So, you know, I believe they they search out and they know through time and uh, experience, they know what food uh, sources that provide more of an intake of what they could live and build off of. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, no, it totally uh, does. So, uh, again, I do, you know, because people believe that Bigfoot, they migrate, they move the source to source. I believe just like a lot of other wildlife, when the deer move, you know, when time and seasons change, they move where the food source is going to be available and then the predators follow from there on. So, um, again, every area they move into, if it's a new area, um, I'm sure they're going to scope it out and, uh, you, they got to get familiar with what's inhabiting to that area since, you know, so, but a lot of, a lot of Bigfoots have, uh, in my area, uh, there's what I've what I believe to be various groups. Um, so therefore, you know, i if they all work together, that I don't know, but I believe some of them do based off experience. Um, again, a Bigfoot, when they're in a certain area, they know what's in there. So they know what they have to work with. But if, again, if they move to a new area, they're going to have to really scope it out and, you know, kind of go from there. Um, so. Kind of a related question. Okay. Um, I, this is another thing I've always wondered about Bigfoot. Do you think they have a, a sagittal crest or a sagittal crest? And for, for our listeners who might not be familiar with it, it's kind of like the bone mohawk that some animals have. Like if you pet a dog, they'll often have that bone mohawk through their skull. And some primates have them. The robust family primates have them. The grassians don't. But the main thing is it gives them much stronger um, chewing muscles. Um, so do you, do you think Bigfoot has one or do you think perhaps doesn't or unsure? Well, you know, that's a good question, and I'm actually glad you brought that up. I will answer that like this. Yes, I believe a lot of them do. But in some cases, based off of eyewitness accounts and some of the sketch drawings I saw, don't actually show that. They show more of a rounded, pointy head to a round, like a rounded head. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them do show what we would describe as a sagittal crest, uh, sometimes with a protruding eyebrow and then, you know, a slope up the head. Um, um, I think, I think it varies. I really do kind of look at it or think of it like this, um, people in the, you know, people across the world, um, you know, different bloodlines, different, um, groups of people, uh, anywhere, you know, you got Asian people and, uh, we, we could just use the United States, for example, uh, 
as far as appearance, we all vary in it, you know. Um, I think based off of their style or their diet, I think that has a lot to do with it, you know, um, on the way they're developed. Um, it's genetic. Could it be genetic? I believe that's very possible. Um, so, yeah, I think it varies. I think it depends um, on the group and bloodline and, you know, basically the genetics of the species. Um, so because a lot of people do describe what they have uh, or what, what we would call a sagittal crest. So, well, that could, um, if, if they have like that more rounded, it would, so that means that they don't have that pronounced jaw chewing power. That could be why they go for more things in campsites like um, peanut butter or berries or fish or things that they're looking for. So they don't have to, they don't have to chew it as much. It's more mushy. If that could be one of the things that, that they're scavenging for. That's very true. But if they do possess a sagittal crust, that means that it may answer one of the questions that skeptics always throw at us is where do they get the calorie content to maintain their bodies? If you examine lowland gorillas, most of their calorie intake is from leaves, and leaves have a super low calorie density. Mm, but exactly. the, since they have that sagittal crest, they can easily just chew literally all day and maintain their body off, like, just, just constantly, constantly eating leaves. Mm, I'm doing that. Right. Well, here's something to think about, too. Uh, now, when it comes to Bigfoot, uh, this is back to bears again. Um, as far as their diets go, this is another thing I've always thrown out there. Because, uh, you know, your average black bear, uh, they're, according to, uh, according to, you know, biologists, uh, their main diet consists basically 80% vegetarian, 20% meat. Uh, now, back to Bigfoot, I believe it's similar, but reverse the percentages around. I believe there are more meat intake. Um, and I do believe they're, they have their share of uh, veg vegetation. Um, so, you know, as far as like also insects and other grubs and everything that's accessible to them, that's edible. Um, you know, I think, it, again, I, it depends on what they're adapted to, uh, to adjust or, or to receive into the system. So I don't know. Does that make any sense? No, you just sparked me on a whole new train of thought. So if they're consuming that much more meat than a bear, they can sustain a much higher biomass. Do you think, and I know this is kind of a silly question, do you think the Bigfoot has a like higher amount of muscle mass or possibly just a higher amount of strength than a bear? That's a very good question. Uh, I can't say I've ever been asked that question before. I know it's a little silly, uh, but you're, can, what you said really Bigfoot got me thinking. Tank, no. I like that. Yeah, can Bigfoot tank a bear? Yeah, hopefully I'm asking, can Bigfoot like pick up and throw a bear? <laughs> well, according to the six, uh, $6 million man, uh, that's a different. <laughs> they had, there was an episode where, yeah, but that was just a show. <laughs> um, you know, uh, when it comes to primates, I remember seeing this comparison to, I know this is just jaw strength uh, compared to a gorilla to a grizzly. Um, I can't remember exactly which one had the more strength, uh, jaw strength. Um, I, I think it was the gorilla, <laughs> but, you know, as far as their mass and their strength, I do believe that Bigfoot, if he is some form of primate, um, and I say some form of primate, regardless, because I, I have to be careful when I share this information because people say, well, he's not a primate, he's a human. Well, scientifically human speaking, he's either. Yeah, exactly. People don't understand that. that that's, that's a silly that's a silly thing that people have been putting you through because well, both I'm, are yeah. so I'm going to ask you oh, this. I'm going to ask you yeah, this. Yeah, go thing. ahead. 
So we're talking about primates, we're talking about Bigfoot, we're talking about humans. However, that doesn't necessarily mean everybody sees the same. And you talk about this in your book. You talk about this on Learning Bigfoot, the different primates um, right. differently. Like if you think about dogs, dogs can't see in color, you know, or the reason when you go hunting and you wear those bright vests is because deer can't see the color. Do you think that Bigfoot sees closer to humans or other certain types of primates? What do you, how do you think that Bigfoot sees? Well, that's a very good question because there was a question you had actually sent me and, you know, it, I don't know if this relates to this or not. Sure. But one thing that we have that non-human primates don't have is the, you know, the, the tape, uh, it's uh, called the tapetum uh, lucidum. Uh, basically, it's what allows many species to have that vision at night that we don't have. Uh, so, you know, which basically it has it allows, you know, the invisible light to shine back into the retina. So um, it's that's what contributes to a lot of the night vision in many species. Uh, if Bigfoot has that. That's very possible. I mean, he's seen a lot at night. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, their vision. It's either adaptive or they must have something um, that we don't have. Um, so I don't know. Um, your instincts tell you. Well, you know, a lot of them, they're, you know, a lot of them are seen at night. They must have some kind of vision or their eyes adjusted to the light, uh, the night, excuse me. Um, I mean, to me, it, it would make sense how they see their way around, even without. It's one thing if we have a full moon out. Yeah. We can make our way through the forest with a full moon, mm-hmm. you know, because our eyes will get adjusted to that little bit of light. But um, I think Bigfoot's a little bit more advanced than that. Uh, I honestly believe they have something that we don't have. So uh, they may have something like, like I said, many species, um, you know, have that night vision. Mm-hmm. What uh, makes cat? Me, do you think that cats, he's, owls? Yeah, I'm sorry. Do, go ahead. do you think that he sees in color like we do, close to what we do? You know, I want to say yes, but I, I honestly don't know that for a fact. Uh, uh, then again, it's something that we would have to look back on our primates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as night, uh, primates, they actually, uh, honestly, they actually have poor, poor vision. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, Bigfoot, I believe he, again, I believe he is some type of primate. Um, I almost want to think that Bigfoot has human eyesight to a certain extent because of course our non-human primates have poor eyesight you know mm-hmm. um so i have to honestly answer that i have to say i don't know i'm not really sure about that one but, I've, often, I've often thought that he might have to because if you think like at how like like what like what military people do like when they make those ghillie suits when they go out what are they trying to do they're trying to look at like as much like the surrounding area as possible yeah. Like, you know, hunters, when they go out, they wear those bright clothes because animals can't see it. That way they can sneak up on them. But so right. if Bigfoot's able to stay elusive from us, I think that means maybe one of the things that he can do is possibly be able to see more like in color. So that way he can see the contrast of things like either structures or people. or Well, ghillie planes. suits only work because, uh, and you guys can out there can correct me if I'm wrong. I think most standard humans have three cones. And cones determine our ability to differentiate shades of color. Some humans do have an additional cone. I believe that brings us to four. And if one has four cones, that means you can detect gradient shades of color that right. other people can't. They would just see it as part of the primary color. 
Uh, the more right. clones that you have, the more gradients you have. And it goes up exponentially to, like, say, I think the mantis shrimp has the most cones. And it has, like, oh, God, I, I might be lowballing this, but I think it's, like, 180 primary colors. Like, just a something mm. that, like, our human mind could not even grasp at. Mm. Hmm. And I think rods determine like your ability to, it's one of the things that determines your ability to deal with light, I think, but right. don't quote me on that. I'm not an ophthalmologist. Do you, um, right. <laughs> question. So one of the, so we know that he's super elusive out there. One of the things and I saw a lot of these photos in your book, we saw these photos in your book and I, and I see this frequently posted in research, Bigfoot, like, uh, like Bigfoot researchers, uh, Facebook groups all the time is like those crossed structures like those cross tree structures out there in the woods oh yeah do you think that that's do you do you think bigfoot is doing those and if so if if, if you do why all right well again you know, a lot of times i i when i come across various structures that look interesting uh regardless if it's bigfoot human or if it's nature uh, regardless of who or what's doing it, I still prefer to do it as nature's art. Now, some of these structures, um, and it's this is kind of a, a touchy subject to some people, but you know, where if it looks like a teepee, if it looks like it's woven together, uh, in a lot of cases, we like to believe that something or somebody with hands and opposable thumbs took the time to throw some of these together. Gotcha. Um, you know, I have come across numerous structures where different trees and di different species of trees have been put together and woven. I have seen that. I got pictures of that. And uh, where well, I find that very fascinating. If a person is doing this way out in the woods, why? What's it for? It's, you know, uh, most people, when they walk a trail or they go through the woods, sometimes they'll grab a limb and snap it on the, you know, that way they can see their snap limbs on the way out. Mm -hmm. Uh, hunters do this. It's very common with hunters. Um, but now you got stuff like teepee structures or what forms a teepee. Again, those are fascinating to me. Um, now I know in some like pine forests where you have tall, thin pine trees, uh, a lot of times with storms and winds, they blow over, they fall and lean against other trees. Sometimes this is created by natural weather. Um, so when it comes to structures, uh, they could be either or. Uh, and that's a thing. We can't prove that Bigfoot is doing these. Uh, we could assume, uh, but that's only going to so far, you know, what, there is people out there saying Bigfoot did this. Bigfoot made this. Mm -hmm. But we don't know that. Uh, we'll, we'll, no one's ever come forward to say, yeah, I stood there and watched him build this structure, you know, or this teepee or whatever it might be. But something's making them. <laughs> um, so, again, yeah, I mean, you get people out there that say, well, there's no way big, uh, no way a person did this because look at these are big trees. Yeah, that's could be possible. But so. I'll present it like this, and I always have, that I believe that Bigfoot could be doing these. Um, it depends on the form or structure or the style of the structure. I believe some of these are territorial. Uh, some of the times I believe they are forms of uh, signs of dominance. Um, so 
uh, different markers because I have found fresh big trees that have been snapped over. Uh, and when I say fresh trees, I'm talking about anywhere from four inches round to bigger uh, that have been, you know, that they look like something's forced them over. Uh, and, and looking around the surrounding area, you don't see no other heavier tree that's came down to catch it, to snap it like that. Um, I love that. Some idea, of the, I, I love the idea of Bigfoot breaking some of these trees as a signal, as a territory oh. thing, because it shows communication. I love that. That's one of the, I was saying the same thing to Vic before, when I sent, when I sent you that particular question, uh, right. I, I said that because I was signifying that that's creating some sort of communication to other, the other, or uh, or other things that could understand what that means. Think about the case well, in Mock, Alaska, where many of the locals had said these flipped over trees are signs that you're entering their territory. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, here we go back to the primates, our non-human gorillas, chimpanzees, mainly mm-hmm. gorillas. Gorillas are known for doing this. They're known for breaking. They're known for slapping, banging. I mean, they'll grab another stick. Will uproot a tree. I mean, these are common behaviors with our, you know, or our great apes. Um, so that's what leads me to the possibility that Bigfoot could be a strong candidate for what we're finding in the woods. Um, is, there, is there a way, or in, in your opinion, what would make you think that there's a difference between Bigfoot doing this and man doing this? Like, is there anything that would sort of give you an indication to separate the two? Something like for like the amateur Bigfoot researcher that's out there or somebody that wants to get started into doing this. Like, how would you tell the difference? Well, that's a good question. And I, the only way you could assume that a person did it is uh, unless you see evidence of tools, human tools, okay, yeah. uh, you know, axes, saw blades or whatnot. Um, now, for example, when I was a kid, one of my favorite things to do when I was in the woods, playing in the woods, was find a tall, skinny tree, climb all the way up to the top. And it was a flexible enough tree. Well, by the time you get to the top, your weight and your momentum is slowly toppling it over, carrying, uh, causing it to bend over. And as you're at the top, it's slowly lowering you back down to the ground. Uh, not once I've ever had any of them snap, but sometimes if I was heavy enough, you know, what's going to happen to that tree. Those fibers inside that tree will get stretched enough to where it's going to stretch it and hold it down for a little while. And sometimes in some cases, the tree will eventually go back up. Yeah. I was just Um, thinking about that when you're describing the, um, the thin trees you found snapped. Like the trees that are like very green in the middle, that are usually thinner and younger, they're yeah. actually hard to get a clean snap on. You're more likely to just bend them. I know it's possible to give it a uh, snap, but you need like a lot of strength and speed. So basically, since it's so wet on the inside, the fibers are more likely to bow than to crack. But if you right. with enough force and speed at the same time, it doesn't have time to contort and then it causes a crack. So that would imply a higher degree of strength and skill. Yeah. Well, in some, in some of the tree breaks I come across, um, you, if, I'm sure you've seen some of these yourself. They have more like a splinter break. So when you, mm-hmm. when those fibers can no longer stretch, it's, you know, they're actually breaking out of the, their skin and causing more of a splinter break. Um, I could tell you 
one of the name uh one main subject that's very common for doing these um because they play on trees and mess around with trees a lot bears so you know that's why i do talk a lot about bears in a lot of my research so because bears are very common uh they'll uproot an old tree i've seen i've seen trees uprooted i've seen logs moved around from out of the original spot several feet away and bears big bears i mean i've seen them uh, they've moved big boulders over just to get to the bugs and grubs and everything else um but so that's another thing I have to throw out there is that bears are notorious for playing and bending trees. But I so don't that's know, another thing we have to be careful of too. But I don't know if they'd ever do like that sort of like teepee style uh, description that you're talking about where there's like multiple nah. in, a, in a circle. And I always find it weird because I think the obvious skeptic answer to that would be that it's some sort of shelter being made. But, but it always finds it, but it always, it always is weird to me that if some, thing or someone is getting far enough along that they've broken all of these trees and to, to make this for a structure that they just sort of give up halfway through. Like you'd already sort of know whether or not if you could be successful in making a, a survival structure. Yeah. Sort of thing. So well, it seems weird that the, the for structure that they're just, a, they're just abandoned sort of halfway through. Well, yeah. That's not necessarily that, true because your thatching structures are going to be the first to break down. Because if you think about, like, say, the teepee picture uh, in his book where it's several large um, thin shafts of wood leaning up against a singular structure, you can assume that there's thatching in between it, and that's going to give it the shelter. But the thing is, the thatching are smaller component parts that are more likely to blow away or in the rain break. Because when you think about the entropy of wood, a small stick is going to go through entropy far faster than a a, a thick stick. And if we're assuming that it might be using something else like um, leaves or leafy thin branches, those are going to break down much more faster than the um, ones that are giving the structure its actual support. Yeah, see, now a lot of these cheapy structures, uh, now, I won't necessarily call them shelters because to me, a shelter is something that's got an opening, uh, enough space for something to get underneath of it and to be more or less to be protected from the elements um, or something uh, with enough cover to hide it. Um, now, one of the most impressive structures I ever come across is this one here. I do refer to this particular one as a sh shelter. Uh, was up on a ridge and it was actually made with logs uh, going all the way around it. And we're talking about anywhere from six to eight inch logs going all the way around it. And where you can see where something has started throwing extra limbs off the side of it. And, you know, the skeptic side of me said, okay, a hunter may have done this. It took the time to put these together. They're on a nice open ridge, you know, you know, and it just, was it a turkey hunter? Most turkey hunters, I've seen the ground blinds that a lot of turkey hunters build. Then, mm -hmm. um, of course, again, the skeptic side of me got to thinking, I was like, I started looking at this and, you know, I didn't see no signs of human uh, whatsoever. Um, actually, I have this picture in one of my other books. My, my newest book is uh, it's a wildlife and field. Uh, yeah. Wildlife and Bigfoot field guide in objective view. And um, how, many books have actually, you how many books have you written? Uh, there's a there's like. A few, um, three, four. <laughs> I lost I'm track of. I forget about it sometimes. So. You've written so, so many books, you forgot how many <laughs> books you wrote. 
<laughs> no, I mean they're not big. They're more or less research guides, uh, gotcha. more or less. They're you know they're they're simple books. They're not much bigger than what you got there. So, <laughs> um, and uh, but yeah, as far as uh, this particular shelter, uh, I, I definitely call it a shelter. It was definitely the start of a shelter. Because um, when I found this one here, I was actually blown away. I was actually very fascinated. Because, like I said, these were I, – I tried to lift up a couple of these, and they were wedged in – they were surrounding this standing tree, and they were wedged in there. And I did attempt to move a couple of them. I said, oh, my goodness, these got some weight to them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe – like I said, somebody could have done it, but I'm trying to look in the surrounding area. I said, what purpose did they do it here? Mm-hmm. Again, it didn't, it didn't relate to any uh, man-made ground blind that I've ever seen. Um, of course, 20, 30 feet up that ridge was another interesting structure. Uh, basically, it was like, yeah, it was almost a tripod structure, but bigger logs going up higher into a tree with another one crossing up through the middle, you know, all, up, all against a standing tree. So with that there, it just made me think more of, okay, this could be a Bigfoot structure. This is possible. You know, it's on high ground. Uh, it gives them the, the advantage of overlooking the low ground for ambush. Cause I believe that's nothing. I believe Bigfoot is an ambush predator, um, you know, for a couple different reasons, I believe that, but um, so I don't know. That was a very interesting structure, uh, but a lot of your other structures, I've, I've come across structures in the woods before um, like the cluster of uh, trees and branches thrown together, you know, over the years, I go back into these areas to check to see if there's anything new. Some of these structures have, with storms and whatnot, uh, have disappeared. You know, they've collapsed. Uh, so that also tells me, okay, these weren't nothing permanent. These had to have been put here for some reason for another. Or another. Some of these foot, structures. Or another Bigfoot moved it and territory uh, shifted. Oh, uh, that's very possible. Or here's a here's a scenario. What if yeah, a group that worked that area said, "Well, we're not going to stay here no more. Let's get rid of this." You know, yeah. um, I don't know. There's different ways to look at things and consider the different possibilities. So, I'm gonna but, give I'm gonna give Vic the last question to ask. Ooh, before our I was main just section. thinking of one. So yeah, he's gonna <laughs> he, he, gets the, he gets the last question before we thoughts us for like the main bulk of the episode. All right. Well, so it's my turn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was it's just thinking you had mentioned earlier that you believe that they may or may not be um, working together with each other. Do you think that they're more likely social, semi-social, non-social? Where, where would you place them on the likelihood? I'm not looking for a super objective answer. Just what's your guts based on your research? Well, I'll say this. Uh, I honestly believe they are a social species, just like we are. Uh, our non-human primates, gorillas, chimpanzees, oh my goodness, very social. They do work together in groups. Um, you know, they have order. They, they're, they're an organized community. Uh, you know, uh, now a lot of them, I do believe they are very, a lot of them are independent and work alone. Uh, now it depends who you talk to in the Bigfoot world. You have day watchers, you have this and that, you know, that may be true. They might be that way. Um, I, I will not rule that out. Um, but based off of one of my experiences, um, I do believe they work and hunt in groups. Gorillas, gorillas and chimpanzees do this. Um, you know, the way 
grills work. I'm not going to get into all that. I'll be glad to talk about that another time. But, <laughs> um, but I honestly believe, yes, they are a social group that work together. Well, I've um, always assumed that they, they must have. They would have to be to remain, like, as structured as they are and elusive as they are. I really have always felt that it seems very likely that they are a fully social animal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of times when you have sightings, uh, well, when you hear about sighted reports, there's usually one. Uh, it's either a road crossing or somebody had, they were out in the woods and saw one. You know, you always hear about one. Sometimes there's been pairs. You'll see two of them together. Um, there's been reports of here in Virginia of having them two at a time running across the mountain road. Um, but other reports, most of the reports I personally have uh, heard and received were usually just single subject reports, you know. Um, but yeah, like I said, I had an experience back in 2014. There was actually three of them. Uh, but in that case, with what I with I shouldn't say what I saw, what we saw, because it was six of us that shared this. Uh, I have reason to believe that they were a family mm -hmm. uh, based off of the, the sizes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but then again, I believe they were working together. Um, part of the reason I believe that is because prior to seeing them, it just so happened to be a deer on the other side of the forest road. And that we actually walked up on and it seemed like it, it wasn't bothered by us by no means. It was just walking, taking his time and nonchalantly walked further into the woods. Uh, and that was just a few short minutes, if that, from having our encounter of seeing three of them. So uh, on the opposite side of the forest road. Um, but then again, there was another incident that happened a year later when I was by myself in the same section of woods just around the corner when I was hunting. I walked out to the middle of the forest road and I didn't I had a spotlight in my hand, but I didn't turn it on until I got to the middle of the forest road. And here it is about around 10 o'clock at night. And I start shining the light to my left and immediately I spooked up a deer. I didn't see the deer. You could hear the sound of the deer just running off. And I said, oh, cool. You know, there was a deer right over there. And so I started panning my, the light over to my right when I hit the, between the one and two o'clock position. Um, what I heard next kind of had me shook <laughs> because I didn't see it. But what I heard was definitely bipedal and very large and heavy. I spooked something up just inside that tree line right over there. And it didn't come out towards me. It was going away from me. You could hear every step it took with a crunch and a thump as it hit the ground. And what, with what I was hearing, I knew it was very heavy. And I knew it was bipedal. No doubt, no denying that it was bipedal. But when I was hearing those steps, my heart was pounding pretty heavy in my chest. And I started walking backwards back to my camp. That's a down encounter right there. That is, man. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I didn't see nothing, but off of, off of everything I heard, you know, there was no denying it was bipedal. And like I said, it had me shook. But once I got back to my camp, I, I was able to calm down because I got to think about it. I said, wait a minute. As if that wanted to hurt me, it would have came at me. It went away from me. It wasn't a fast walk, but it was not a slow walk either. Mm -hmm. Um. Now, if that was a bear, I'll be honest with you, I would have not heard the steps. 
I can tell you that much. And we do have big bears out there. Um, I've seen their tracks and I've seen hunters take them too. And I've seen monster bears cross the road on me at nighttime out there. Um, but this was no bear. I could promise you that. So. All right. That was a really good story. We appreciate that. Yeah. So we're, we're getting towards the end of our episode. So I, I, I think what might be cool sort of trying to, to get in some of our final thoughts on Bigfoot. I'm going to get Vic's first final thoughts on like his takeaway from Bigfoot. Then I'll go. And then of course we always, uh, let our guest have the last word on that. And then we're going to, then we're going to have, we have a great announcement for our listeners, which we're super excited to get to before we move into the pillow talk section. So Vic, what are, what are some of the final thoughts, like your takeaways? From I've Bigfoot? always felt that Bigfoot is one of the more likely cryptids and this is only reinforced it. Now, my big takeaway from the conversation was it's been really cool to kind of talk some of the hypothetical biology of Bigfoot. And <laughs> that's, that's what really made my day today is that's what I really enjoyed. And this is just reinforced to me, the biological likelihood of it being real. For me, I'd have to say, you know, one of the things after I read your book that I, that I had never done before was taken the way that Bigfoot sees. And the more that we hear the, the talking about how Bigfoot is able to like elude people, stay hidden and not be found. I think one of the only ways that he, that they would have the ability to do that is if they could possibly see in color. Like I have to, like, I have to believe if, if Bigfoot is a physical flesh and blood mammal that is out there, that is, that is out there just hidden in the woods that it would have to be able to, to see in color probably to be able to stay in so that I wouldn't know how to avoid humans. But yeah, but what's your, what's your takeaway? Like what, if you if people took away from listening to you, what, what what would you want their takeaway on Bigfoot to be? Well, first of all, yeah, uh, I I'm right there with you as far as their vision. Uh, I mean, it would only make sense. They would have to have be able to see in vision. I mean, again, the, I have I don't have the facts, but I have my beliefs. I mean, and based off of what we discussed, um, yeah, it would it it makes sense that they would have to have vision. Um, to see as we do. Um, I mean, they know where I believe I know they're around when we're around. They're well aware of our presence and there's no denying that they have made their presence known one way or another. Um, you know, uh, there's one thing I tell people when I go camping, if they're going to be around, you're going to know it because they, they will announce it one way or another. <laughs> um, but one thing I like people to consider in the belief of what Bigfoot might be, I do believe he is a former primate, uh, unknown primate, class, uh, unclassified. Um, you know, there's people going to believe otherwise, but um, uh, based off of their imagination and their uh, their belief on what they can't explain on what people find. So they have to go to the different realm of reality is what I call it. But I just believe that people should take in consideration and, and state to the basic steps and start doing more analyzing and cross comparisons on various subjects, you know, and, and just see the similarities, you know. Um, but for the over the years, more and more I study, the more I compare and learn about things. And I'm not just going basing off of eyewitness accounts and descriptions, but I do believe and I have a strong belief that Bigfoot is a type of primate. And by no means, I'm not making them equal to our, our gorillas and chimpanzees, mm. but I believe he is something in that class of primates, but 
something a little bit more advanced that was, you know, they have something that we don't have. Yeah. So, and I, uh, and I, and I always want people to have to remember that there are other people that believe in Bigfoot. You're never alone in that. I know me, Vic, you know, me, Vic, we all believe in Bigfoot. So this is actually kind of leading into a really cool announcement that we get to make. Uh, is it cool <laughs> if we make it, if we make the announcement on our podcast, uh, Daniel, is that okay? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that you've invited us to speak at the, uh, the uh, oh, sorry, the ECBRO annual Virginia Bigfoot convention in 2222. Yes, indeed. Or, sorry, 2022. Yeah, 2022. I'm sorry. I didn't. Yes, I, was like, I was like 200 <laughs> years in the future. Blew that. <laughs> like, that didn't sound quite right. Sorry. Like, well, we're having like trouble with like ECBRO. Sorry. Like, let's just like ECBRO. Sorry. We're going to be there. Uh, we're going to post more information on this. It's June 18th, correct? Yes, June 18th. And it's being held at the Holiday Inn and Conference Center in Stanton, Virginia. Super so exciting. it's going to be all indoors. Our food trucks will be outside, but all the vendors and speakers will be on the inside. Yes, yeah, so walk of, through. Yeah, yeah, walk through the front door and go to the right. Yeah, speaking so. of speakers, uh, me and Vic are going to be speakers at the convention next year. So we're super excited about this. Do we want to go ahead and spoil our topic? Yeah, sure. Like, I, like, yeah, we've been talking about back and forth about what we would do. Vic, what do you like? What are we gonna What are we gonna be doing a discussion? We're on? going to be a discussion on how to argue about the existence of Bigfoot and how to poke holes in some of the yeah. so-called best evidence against Bigfoot because right. a lot of them do not stand as well as people believe. Yep. We're gonna teach you, you how to debate it. the normies. <laughs> <laughs> they have to be stopped. And we're going to equip you with some of those tools and give you some cool uh, counter arguments to some of the classic debunk myths uh, and uh, debunk arguments surrounding the food. So we're super excited about that. Uh, and we absolutely can't wait. So we're getting started on uh, putting that presentation together for you guys. So we want you. Well, guys, that's, you know, that's awesome because I'm going to make sure we have a lot of skeptics here because, you know, sometimes we Good. do get skeptic. That's we do great. get skeptics that show up and the curious minded. So, so. You guys will be great during the Q and A session. Sure. <laughs> I, appreciate it. I appreciate it all. I appreciate that all the time. Um, oh yeah. So, uh, Daniel, if our listeners like you, where where can they check out your content? Like, where can people find you at? Ah, uh, well, there's a Facebook page. We have our fan page, the ECBRO. Um, I also have the ECBRO Annual Virginia Bigfoot Conference Facebook page. Mm -hmm. um, also, uh, I have a podcast, and we have a Facebook page for that as well. Again, that is ECBRO Bigfoot Radio. Mm -hmm. uh, um, yeah, you can find and listen to that on all the various po uh, podcast platforms as well. You know what else um, you got? You know what else you got? You got a new fan. It. Yeah, you got new fans in us, man. We oh. appreciate it, yeah. <laughs> Well, very awesome. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, we're um, gonna put all of the all of your contact stuff we're gonna put in the show notes below, so people can definitely go check you out. And I highly encourage everybody to go to go follow it because it's super. It's a fun page to follow because you do a, you do a lot of events throughout the year, man. I follow you on Facebook, man, so I see stuff all the time. Yeah, we actually uh, this past this past October we just created our second uh, event that we do in a year, which is more of a fall festival event, but yeah. it's Bigfoot. It's Bigfoot themed, of course. Uh, so we, yeah, we just had our, um, our first annual, our first ever, um, Squatch Festival. Um, so yeah, that went off pretty well and we're going to be looking forward to, we'll probably be promoting that in June. We'll have little flyers for that. And, uh, so, because, uh, we definitely plan on doing that again. So, uh, but yeah, the month of June is going to be very exciting because, you know, again, yeah, the June 18th event right here in Virginia, um, and then the week after that, uh, me and the girlfriend, we will be going to Oregon, um, 
for those who don't know, there is an event that takes place out there every year, but it's invite only and it's called Beachfoot. So some people might be familiar with it. Yeah, it's a I'm not fully uh, understanding the whole thing. I know that people get up and share stuff and talk and everything. So um, so that should be a very interesting event. Like, like I said, we have the Illuminati. like like, invite only elite club of bigfoot research (laughs) well i mean i don't know i know people like uh bob gimlin that was you know uh from the patterson footage yeah he uh he's been there a few times so um be the bigfoot illuminati yeah. <laughs> hey, there might be one out there. I don't know. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, a lot of these Bigfoot groups and organizations, uh, a lot of these different events, it makes you wonder that there ain't a click involved somewhere because, you know, a lot of them, they invite the same people back to back, you know. And, well, I mean, yeah. He, so. and I think, I mean, I think you run into that in this bigger circuit, but that's okay. But that's why we're so inviting and we super. Super appreciate you coming on our podcast, Daniel. Thank oh, you so much. Great. We super appreciate oh. that you came on and you helped give us give us give us this gift to our listeners this Christmas. So we super appreciate it so much. Oh, I had fun. I, I really appreciate you guys having me on, and yeah. I'll be more than glad to come on any other time you want. You know, yeah, but, so. but uh, don't go anywhere because we're gonna stick around. We're gonna have you stick around for our uh, pillow talk segment of the podcast. But um, let you guys let us know what you guys think of Daniel in the comments below. If there's any questions or, any, or anything that you've had about uh, Daniel or anything he or we have said, put it in the comments below. If there is a debunk, if there is a uh, a skeptic question or a debunk thing about Bigfoot that you want me and Vic to try to tackle, put that in the comments below. Oh yeah, I'd love that. We need to get started, man. Put your skeptic arguments below in the comments uh, so me and Vic can get ready for our presentation next June. But until next time, guys, keep believing. Because we'll keep listening. Thank you, guys. Keep it squatching, my friends. All right, guys. We're going to slide into the Pillow Talk segment of this podcast. If you want to check out the rest of this awesome podcast, all you got to do is go over to our Patreon and sign up. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to the rest of these awesome episodes of our podcast, as well as bonus videos that we put up exclusively for our patrons. I'm excited about this and tell them what we're going to be talking about on this one. Uh, this in this, which one? In this oh, Patreon segment. oh, in this Patreon section, uh, in this particular uh, Patreon segment, we're going to continue talking with Daniel, uh, about, uh, his experiences dealing with Bigfoot. But if you sort of go over to our Patreon, sign up. And recently we actually just put up our discord, uh, for if you sign for a dollar a month, you actually get access to our discord. A lot uh, of fun conversations yes. been going on over there, mainly making fun of Marcus. Yes, true. And that tends, and I'm okay. I run with it. And for two dollars more a month, you get access to our poll to vote on the theme for all of our for all of our episode uh, for the month of our episodes. Currently, keep, right keep now, joining guys, I want to make Marcus cry. <sighs> Join that Discord uh, <laughs> right now. Our poll for January is currently leaning towards magic and monsters. Ooh. So we're super excited about that, bringing some culty stuff in with cryptids, but. Uh, we're gonna keep going, uh, talking with our awesome guest, Mr. Daniel Benoit, uh, from the East Coast Researchers, uh, Bigfoot Researchers Organization. So, uh, you told us in in, uh, in the setup to the to the interview that you actually had an experience with Bigfoot. Ah, uh, yes, yes, I've actually had a couple of interesting things, uh, but one in particular happened May third of two thousand fourteen during a camping outing. And there was a group of us. Um, and there was actually six of us. Uh, 
to give you a little back story on how the day started, um, after leaving camp, we spent a lot of day, you know, daytime exploring and coming across some interesting things here and there, you know, and after a good long hike and some great exercise after, you know, we came back to camp, you know, hung out camp, relaxed, ate, and we had it in our minds that we have to go out exploring at night. And sure enough, that's what we did. We were left out on foot um, from where our campsite was, almost a mile uh, hike. We went down to the lake, and which was nice about it. What was nice about it was there was nobody there. So 